Well, good morning. We are wrapping things up this morning for this series called Worship, and we've been looking at what it means to worship God, particularly when we get together, when we gather together as, as a group, as a church on Sunday. And so I want to pray, and then we'll continue. Father, we just pause once again to, in gratitude, um, bow before you um, as our King, as the one who has made a way for us to um, be saved, Lord, from our sin and from a life that is um, lacking in hope and meaning. And, and Lord, you've set us on a new course that in you, because of your great mercy, Lord, um, we can have new life. And you've, you've, you've asked us to offer up our bodies to you as living sacrifices that would be holy and pleasing to you and acceptable to you. And so, God, that reminds us that there are some ways that we could be living or bringing you worship that is unacceptable. And so, God, as we look at that subject this morning, I pray that you would enlighten our our spiritual eyes, Lord, to be able to see what you're doing, what you're saying to us. God, help us to be in a place where we're ready to respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to finish this series off by looking at three worship disqualifiers. And to be disqualified is to have your efforts uh, not count because of you, you broke a rule. Because of some infraction of the rules, you are disqualified. That's, that's what the idea of disqualification means. Um, we've all seen Olympic athletes who have been disqualified um, because of some infraction. Uh, maybe it was they missed a gate in skiing, so that disqualifies them. Or maybe they committed a lane violation in swimming, so that disqualified them. Or maybe they passed the baton outside of the area where you're allowed to pass the baton on a relay team. Again, that's disqualification. And the look of disappointment on an athlete's face tells it all. And so here, here's a picture of the great, let's see, the, the British relay team at the London Olympics, they were disqualified in the relay races because they passed the baton just outside of the area where you're able to pass the baton. And um, what a disappointment to them. You know, they worked so hard for this. And here they are eliminated from the Olympics and, and you know, eliminated from the opportunity to get this medal that they'd worked so hard for before their home crowd. And there's, you know, and you can pull up the picture and see where they, where, they, where they missed it. I don't know if you've ever run a relay race. I did when I was a kid. I remember running in the sixth grade a relay race. And I, was, I dropped the baton on the pass. And I was the third runner to pass to the, to the closer. And I, it, was my, it was pretty much my fault. <laughs> that guy kind of looks like me. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, with hair. But, you know, back in the day. And... Uh, but again, I, I, I can share this, this moment slightly because I remember that feeling. Uh, you just screwed it up for your team, you know. And uh, poor guy, this guy here, you know, on the press conferences, he takes full responsibility for saying, yeah, I, I made the mistake. And, and, but years and years of hard work wasted because of one small mistake. And the consequences can seem kind of harsh. You know, you would think that, that they could give a little bit of grace, but... If the standards are not upheld, 
then the events lose their integrity. And so the race, the competition, would just become a free-for-all. And so there's standards, there's rules, and we know this. Now when it comes to worshiping God, God has some standards as well. God has some things that are out of bounds. And He's not looking to disqualify our worship based on some minor infraction or technicality, but He does want our worship to be authentic. And we don't have um, secretly seated in the auditorium. We don't have any worship referees. Okay, So there's no one ready to blow a whistle on you this morning and you know, call a worship foul or worship violation because you're not really worshiping this morning. And uh, that would be so irritating, wouldn't it? Someone was scanning looking for um, worship violations. It's also impossible because you can't see worship violations because they exist inside. They're violations of the heart. This is what Jesus is, is saying. And if you want, you can pull out this listening guide. We're going to walk through these three worship disqualifiers. But Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9, Jesus says this. I'm going to read this uh, verse and then we're going to read a little bit of the context a little bit later in the message. Verse 8 says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Okay, In vain do they worship me. They, they look like they're worshiping on the outside, but because of what's going on in the inside, their worship really is not worship. It's disqualified. Worship violations, they're violations, again, they're of the heart. And, and only we can really look into our own hearts and identify whether or not the external things match up with the internal things. Whether or not the external things are really backed up and supported um, by who we really are. Now, God is not looking for perfection in worship. He's not looking for perfection. But He is looking for honesty, authenticity. Our, our hearts and our words really need to line up. If not, then we find out our worship is offered up in vain. And there's three, part, there's three places in particular where worship can go off track. And so, um, I want to look at these. The first one is this. It's consumer worship. Consumer worship. This is where we approach worship on a, on a Sunday, a worship of God, like we would going to a restaurant. Okay? This is where worship is mostly about us and our needs. In this disqualifier... Worship is more about me than it is really about God. To the consumer worship, it's kind of like that this gathering is no different than a restaurant. So I attend if I'm hungry. If the food is served in the way that I like it served, you know, tastes like my mom's cooking, you know. If the service is is fast and speedy, if not, well, what do I do? I, I take myself elsewhere. I go find the restaurant that will give me the things that I really want. The things that better suit my appetites and needs. Because I, I come here when it fits my schedule to help me feel better, to get my needs met. Now, it's easy for us to slip into this mode of consumer thinking because we can't see the God that we've gathered to worship. Last week we talked about how when we gather, we're coming to bow before our King, ready to receive instruction, instructions and then go out and really respond to what He said. And, and it's easy because we can't see Him to just slip into this mode. Because all we really see is we see somebody speaking. Somebody like me speaking or someone else like me or one of our other speakers speaking. Or the worship team you know, leading. We tend to form preferences because of that. We, we tend to form preferences based on, on our tastes. 
we can kind of form like a thumbs up or a thumbs down based on speakers and leaders and different kinds of um, teaching styles. And this is what was going on in the early church, particularly around two speakers. One was the Apostle Paul. He was Paul wrote much of the New Testament. He started many of the churches, the early churches. The other was a man named Apollos. And Apollos was one of Paul's early converts. Paul led him to Christ. And then he became one of the, Apollos became one of the you know, teachers in, in the early church. And so there was somewhat of a, I don't know if a controversy, certainly a preference um, forming with some people. Some people liked Paul's teaching. Some people liked Apollos' teaching. And so Paul writes about this when he writes back to one church in 1 Corinthians. He writes this letter, and, and in chapter 3, he brings up this issue of kind of jealousy and preferential, um, or, or people just needing to have it a certain way. And so look at what he says in verse 4 of chapter 3. He says, For one, one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Then he says, I planted. Now Paul's speaking. Saying, I, I planted. Apollos, he watered. He came after Paul and he really helped some people grow and, 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 and understand some things. Then he says, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now Paul and Apollos, they were these two leaders in the early church. And because of that, they developed loyal followers. And that's kind of natural because people had been helped through these men's ministry, through these different guys and their ministering there. Um, maybe Paul had helped a person come to Christ. Or maybe Apollos had helped a person come to Christ. Or, or maybe some of the things that they taught just really helped uh, people pro- solve some problems in their lives. And so... There was this deep appreciation and loyalty. And that's actually a really healthy thing for a congregation to have loyalty with, with spiritual leadership in order to move forward. Um, but things were kind of going beyond loyalty to consuming. You can almost imagine the conversations based on what Paul wrote about this. Conversations like, you know, I really like Paul's teaching. He's just, he just, he speaks my language. You know, when I get to hear Paul teach, man, that's a really good day. When I, when I see him up there, oh, I'm just so happy I got up to because I, he really connects with me. Paul really feeds me. Maybe a loyal Apollos follower would have said something like this, not me. You know, Paul, he takes so long to preach his sermons. He's so long-winded. He's, he's so difficult to, you know, to understand what he's saying. He has difficult concepts, doesn't always break them down. Did you hear about the time that was, Paul was preaching so long? There was a guy who actually fell asleep. The guy was sitting upstairs in a window. He fell asleep. He fell out of the window and he fell to the ground and he died. Paul's so long-winded. Paul actually had to go downstairs and through the miracle of God, he raised that guy from the dead. Those are so long, those sermons. You know, I don't like Paul's teaching. Now you can read about that. That's actually found in Acts 20 that this actually happened. Somebody, I think his name was Eutychus. He fell out of a window and died. Paul preached some long sermons. Well, no, I prefer Paul because he just he really connects and he really makes me think and he really he makes sense to me. Well, I really like the way of Paul is just so to the point and, and it's so applicable and so back and forth, back and forth they were going, and so Paul he is stating, Hey, 
You say, I follow Paul. You say, you know, he's saying, you're making it about the teacher and you're missing the whole point. It's not about the teacher. He's saying, hey, look, we're just servants that God uses to, to help people discover who God is and then how to grow. The focus needs to be on the one who causes the growth. That's where the focus needs to remain. Not on the servants that he uses along the way to help people grow. It's fine to have preferences. It's fine to, to have tastes. But what we prefer... Paul's saying that's really not the point. The point is, are we bowing before God, the one who causes us to grow, and then responding to what God says to us? Now, one of my uh, most memorable worship services was our church's very first one. Um, It was about a dozen of us gathered in in our living room, and it was... We were all wondering, how is this really going to go? We had... We had two of us that were on the guitar, and we hadn't played in a long time. <laughs> and uh, and we just we just put together the plan. And when we sang that first song, it was almost heavenly. I remember um, Penny Lamberth, who was in our first service, she was watching the kids in a bedroom, and and she said, "Wow, it was amazing. It sounded like there was just a choir." She's like, "It was it was so loud, and it just sounded amazing." And I think for those of us that were there, that's actually how it was it was just there was a lot of um it it was a very memorable and not i think what it was was out of gratitude that we'd stepped out in faith together and start this church and we were just really enjoying and pray as we praised god together and but there was nothing flashy about it there was nothing flashy about OCC in those early days. And, and this was about seven years ago. We would just gather together in the living room. And, and here's actually a picture of, of our first family Christmas service. And it's not, about, it's not about us. It wasn't about us. It wasn't about the people. It wasn't about how good we could play the guitar. Um, it was all very, very simple back then. <laughs> we just had a guitarist. Everyone would sing. There was no PowerPoint. We still had coffee. Because coffee has always been a high priority here. Kids were involved. For non-Christians, for people who had not yet become Christians, people that were meeting, this actually made sense. Because they had no prior church background. And so they could actually worship and grow and, 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 and understand what, what, what God was teaching them in this setting. Now for churched people, for already reached church Christians looking for a place to consume, we probably looked ridiculous. You know what I mean? There was nothing polished about it. Because consuming, whenever we're consumers, we're always asking the question, what's in it for me? That's what we're always asking. What's in it for me? And always we're scanning the horizon as consumers looking for something better that meets my preferences and needs. And so a mailing or an invite to something that kind of piques my interest based on my preferences, and boom, I'm gone. Now, there's nothing wrong with transitioning. There's nothing wrong with finding the right fit of a church. not saying that. But if we're making it about the personalities and the perks, then we're falling into what Paul was correcting in the Corinthian church. So that's the first disqualifier is consumer worship. The second one is this, is conditional worship. Conditional worship... It's where we will only obey God on the condition that it's not too costly, that I don't have to really sacrifice. So what we do is we arrive to something like this 
And the purpose here is to worship God, but in our own lives, we have an area that we have already decided, God, I'm not going to obey you in. And we've come up with our own excuses and reasons to just restrict God from, from messing with this certain area. And the problem is that God, He sees our hearts. And so that's what Jesus is mentioning in Matthew chapter 15, the verse we read in the very beginning. So here's a little more from that passage. It begins with Jesus saying this. He says, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, or Isaiah was right, basically, when he said, and he quotes an Old Testament prophet, and here's the verse. It says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So he's saying, they were teaching things like they were doctrine, but they were really just commandments of men. These, these things that were more almost uh, add-ons to God's laws. And you're teaching these things as if they're truth. And so Jesus is, is accusing them of hypocrisy, saying you're being two-faced. Now what is it they had done? What is it Jesus is, is speaking against? What it is, they had found a loophole in one of God's laws. It's commandment number five. The fifth commandment is honor who? Honor your mother and father, your father and mother. Okay, honor them. And they had found a loophole to go around the commandment. And so what it was is as they had aged and as their people's parents were aging, it was getting a little too expensive to care for their aging folks. And so and these people wanted more money for themselves. And so they came up with a way of designating their assets um, to God. It was something that was, they actually came up with a term. It's called Corban. And so they would, basically, it wasn't like a separate account where it was designated. It was just that they could go to the temple and actually designate their assets belonged to God. And so now whenever a need would come up within the family, they could honestly look at their parents who said, Hey, son, really struggling here. Could use, we could use your help right about now. Well, now because of this, because of Corban, they could honestly look at their parents and say, you know, we would really love to help, Mom, Dad. But right now, all of our resources are kind of, resources are kind of tied up. They've all been dedicated to God. And so God comes first, so we really can't help you. And Jesus, He was furious at this. He was furious about this. He calls them hypocrites. Because the command was given to honor your father and mother, and you found a technical way of getting around it, don't you think I can see this? He's saying, look, you hypocrites. You think I'm fooled by your rules and your traditions? You think you just ignore God's command? Jesus is saying this because they were treating God's laws like human laws. They had put a little, little asterisk there on the command, and they thought, oh, we've got our own loophole here. Now, what happens whenever Congress passes a new tax law? What happens? Well, everyone tries to figure How can we get around this tax law? We look for loopholes. Why? Well, because taxes are costly. Taxes are expensive. You already pay a lot of taxes. You don't want to pay any more in taxes. And so what we do is we set out to find a technical way to obey the law but avoid paying as much tax as possible. And it's actually completely legitimate as long as it's legal, right? And so but we look for the loopholes. And maybe you're, you're... accountant he's like let's let's find the way to get the most out of your 
you know, your taxes and get the highest return you can. He's looking for a loophole that maybe you fit into. But when we approach God's laws in the same way, we're not treating Him as God. And, he, and Jesus is saying, look, when you obey conditionally, your heart is not in this. We're not bowing before God in worship. We're really trying to strike a deal with God so He gets what He wants and we get what we want. And whenever we do that under... Whenever we, we obey only under the right condition, then our, our worship, again, is disqualified. Jesus, he's referring to Isaiah 29, verse 13. And in Isaiah's day, this Matthew reference is referencing back to Isaiah 29. In Isaiah's day, the people of God had also come up with their own excuses of, for why they didn't need to obey. So here's the verse that Jesus is referencing. It says, And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to the one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I, I can't, for it's sealed. When they give the book to another who, ca- who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I can't read. And what, what's he saying? He's saying, look, it doesn't really matter what your condition is. You're going to come up with an excuse for why you don't have to obey it. You're going to come up with a reason for not having to to do what he says. If we really wanted to obey God, then we would push back whatever, push past whatever obstacle is in our way and we would do what God wants. If you knew that these were the very words of God, but they were sealed, what would you do? Well, you'd find a way to break the seal because you want to get your mind around, you want to be able to hear or read the words of God. And if you couldn't read, what would you do? Well, you'd find somebody else that can read and have them read it to you because those are the words of God. And if you gather here on Sundays and there's an area in your life in which you just refuse to obey God, I'm not talking about like a struggle with sin where you're confessing and you're making progress in that area, but there's an area maybe in your life where you would say, I know, God, that you've said this command, but I've come up with a loophole. God, I have some reason why in my special case, I don't really have to do that. I've got a loophole. And God sees that approach and He says, that's not real worship. Your heart is far from Me. So that's the second disqualifier is conditional worship. The third one is this. It's customary worship. This is just kind of going through the motions, putting, putting things on autopilot. One church had done this. There was people in the church, at least, in, in this church that had had been trying to promote all sorts of rules and traditions, and they were elevating their traditions. And so Paul writes this, Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom. You know, there's certain people that look really, really wise with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But he says, But they lack any value in, in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, what regulations is he referring to here? People at the times, they'd formed all sorts of traditions about how to worship God. And the traditions had turned into a bunch of rules. like Rules like, don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't go there. Don't do this. Do that instead. So there was all these rules. And they had decided this tradition, or these traditions, is how worship is supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to look like. And it appeared really wise if you kept all the rules. You appeared like you had it all together. You were very traditional. And you feel like, wow, these people are really worshiping. But God said, this is just self-imposed worship. I didn't impose those traditions. Paul's saying, God didn't impose those things. These regulations are man-made, and you've made them so important. You're worshiping your traditions and not God, he's saying. 
And what had started out to be you know, an idea about how to worship God had all of a sudden become the rule of how you had to worship. And it was imposed on others. And so, again, what appeared to be humble wasn't really humble because people were bowing before traditions made by men, not God. And God is saying, in this verse, really, Paul's writing, have you ever wondered why all of your efforts to control your lust hasn't really worked? It's because the body doesn't respond to external efforts to behave itself. Paul's saying you need God's help to control your lusts. You can put all kinds of restrictions up, but a lustful heart will always find a way around restrictions. And so it's a heart issue. God wants our heart. I don't respond to a show, God says to us, but to a heart that bows before me. Your worship shows are not fooling me, he's saying. But what was wrong with them? How, how did these traditions, or where did they really come from? We, t- we tend to actually do the same thing with traditions. Um, ours are just different than theirs. We have traditions of worship in our church. We, we gather, one of our traditions is we gather at 9 and 10.30 every Sunday morning. Our tradition is to sing three to four songs, do announcements, have a message, take an offering, and sing a song. Last week we kind of messed with the order and it probably threw some people off, like, wow, we're starting the message awfully early this morning. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Because we have traditions in place, and we did that intentionally. But traditions by themselves are not bad. We actually need structure in our life. It's a good thing we have structure at work. Um, We're able to get things done. We know what time to show up. Uh, But when tradition becomes the focus in any area of our life, our hearts can go numb, and we just start going through the motions, doing the traditions. This can be true at work can be true in marriage, certainly can be true in worship. And God doesn't want people on autopilot. And at OCC, we have, you know, one of our traditions is we have a style of music here that is, you know, contemporary rock. I don't know what the style totally is, but, you know, I don't know what we'd call it, but it's it's our style. And we And if Cody were to lead us in an entirely different way, and he shows up here with a big wig and like, and a you know like a hairband or something, and a, the flying V guitar. We'd be like, "Who is this guy? That's not." And he's just like, "Yeah," and he's you know, and it's like that would throw us all off here, right? I'd be the first person to be like, <laughs> I mean, we we have traditions. Now, we usually have great feedback about our music but occasionally we get an anonymous suggestion inserted on a connection card that we need more of a certain kind of music or we need less of a certain instrument or we need we need some of a totally different instrument that we don't have on the stage you know i i need my i need my why can't we fit a baby grand up here piano you know where's the organ why aren't we singing more hymns I just can't worship God without hymns. Now, I grew up in a church where we had a piano and organ. And if you put a guitar up there, you get thrown out of church pretty much. You wouldn't dare to bang on a drum. And you're singing hymns out of the hymnal. And that's just a very, very traditional form of worship. And I grew up with an appreciation for hymns because of that. And when, when, when Cody works a, a, a hymn into our service, it not only you know, are they rich in theology, but it also brings back kind of a memory and, and 
I enjoy it. Some of you, you know, people will comment, man, I just love that hymn today. I love that song. We, oh, I, I haven't sang that song in a long time. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you are like, I, I can't worship God without my hymns, really? Do you think that God will build worship in heaven around our preferences and our customs down here? I mean, I love hymns, but many of them were 18th century pubs, you know, songs sung in pubs in England. Certainly God has more options to choose from than just the songs that we're familiar with. Now, if you think about all of the customs, all of the songs, all of the languages spoken since people have been following God, all the instruments, it's it's awfully arrogant of us to think that my customs and preferences are, are the most heavenly. I imagine when I get to heaven, some of the sounds I'm going to hear, some of the instruments I'm going to see and hear, and just the whole experience is just going to blow me away. And I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, God, that I made a big deal about these issues, some of these issues. I focused on the wrong things at that point. But when we worship the forms rather than God, there's a problem. That's what Paul is saying. There's a real problem here if we put the forms and the traditions above Him. And for the record, I mean, I do like hymns. I do like, you know, I, I like the sound of a baby grand piano too. But I just have to watch because through the years, what's going to happen with my tastes is they're going to change. And if I'm unwilling to flex with my preferences through the years, I'm violating something very precious to God, which is that I'd put other people's interests ahead of my own. And one of the, I think, amazing things is, is to be able to flex and to learn and adapt in order to help other people engage. And so... I hope that as we've looked at some of these issues this morning, these worship disqualifiers, and as we've just looked at what is worship as we've defined it a couple weeks ago, worship is magnifying God. It's like we're putting a magnifying glass on God in order to study Him, in order to know Him more closely. And then that we, as we come together on a Sunday, that we would bow before our Maker in order to receive instruction and guidance so that we can go on with our week not doing life our own way with our own agendas, but that we would really submit ourselves to God. What is it you want me to do? And so last week we talked about how our aim on Sundays really ought to be, if we're a Christ follower, would be that we're, we're bowing on the inside. You know, we're sitting on the outside, but we're really bowing on the inside. And that as God speaks to us through whoever you know, He's using, whichever servant He's using to communicate His message, that we would just bow before God's words and that we would respond each week to what He's trying to say to us. And uh, I want to invite our worship team to come back up onto the stage and join me up here and ask our ushers to prepare to receive the offering. And I hope this series has been helpful to you as we've looked at this area of worship, which is extremely important. We could go, we could go so much further into it regarding personal worship, but we've chosen to focus mostly on our corporate worship gathering here in this last three weeks. The rest of the series is on our website, so if you want to check it out, if you weren't at the first couple uh, messages then, and you're curious about that. But as I wrap, wrap up this morning, would you take out that connection card and maybe finish filling this out? And then in a moment, 
we'll be receiving an offering. And if you wouldn't mind dropping this connection card into the basket, um, we would love to know that you were here. Love to know if you have any questions or comments you'd like to uh, uh, pass along anonymously even, you know. Anonymous comment about more whatever in service. Um, there's there for the next steps. We've intentionally left these blank so that if there's just something that God keeps bringing up in your life, something, some sort of a takeaway or a point of application from today or from this entire series, maybe jot that down on your listening guide and just spend some time with the Lord, responding to Him this week. Let's pray, Father. Thank you again for this time. Thank you for. The fact that some of the challenges we're facing here and now in our present day worship, present day churches, Lord, these are not new issues. <laughs> these things that I read about in church growth magazines and church leadership magazines, these are not new issues. God, ever since sin entered the world, we bring all sorts of complications into the life that you've created for us. And so God, we just pray that you, through your word and through your Holy Spirit, that you would zero in on the areas you want us to respond to you this morning and this week. Whether it's about customs we've formed or patterns of consuming that we've adopted, Lord, or conditions that we've come with and we've just said, God, this is off limits. I, I, I will not obey you in this area, Lord. If you've identified any of those in our hearts, Lord, would you just show us those things very specifically? And Lord, help us to make a turn towards you and release these things into your hands this morning. Help us to just be able to leave those here and now and and move forward, Lord, walking in faith, worshiping you in faith. We ask you to just bless the offering we're about to receive. Lord, use it to accomplish your purposes for the sake of your kingdom and your great name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.